Well, good morning, church. It is good to be with you today. So glad you're here. Welcome especially to our friends who are worshiping online and in the CLC. Those of you in the CLC, I hope you enjoy your donuts. And thank you for being there so that we've got a little elbow room up here. We appreciate that. Uh, it's a good day today as uh, today is officially day one of dumpster diving. We, we kicked it off. We kind of presented the idea to you last week that we're going to spend a few weeks digging through the trash of our lives. Uh, the parts of our lives that we like to hide and ignore, we like to pretend we don't even have. But what we're going to discover is when we go to these places with God, we'll find out that the very things that we thought were broken beyond repair, that were lost and forgotten, that God can heal and repair and restore. Uh, so this series is going to take some bravery because uh, we're going to go to scary places. The, the trash of our lives is a little scary, right? Um, but we're going to find that this series is full of grace and hope as we see what God can accomplish. Um, every, every week uh, we'll look uh, in, in the trash. And um, there's sort of more here than I wanted to find. This is what's on top. Failure. That's, that wasn't what I was hoping to find there. That's always sort of the way it is, right? I had to go out and dig something out of the trash last night at my house. And um, even though it was my trash, uh, it was smellier and heavier than I thought it would be. And if you were to dig through the trash of my life, you would find plenty of failure in there. I hate failure. I hate to fail. I think about all the ways we interact with failure. We interact with failure in some pretty powerfully unhelpful ways. I know some people, the main way they interact with failure is that they are afraid to fail, right? And fear of failure can do some pretty destructive things in a life, you know? You get stuck, you get unable to act, because if you act, you risk failure. You would rather never try than face failure. I know some people, whatever they do, they sort of do it half-heartedly. So that if they fail, they can always be like, well, I wasn't really trying anyway, you know? They never give themselves over to the work before them lest they fall short and fail. Or, or they do small things when they're called to do big things, right? God is saying, do big things, take a risk, trust me, and they just do small things that they feel like they can manage under their own strength. So that way they never fail. Uh, you know, the Bible actually says that Righteous people experience failure. I, I love Proverbs 24. This is an encouragement to me. The righteous falls seven times and rises again. But the wicked stumble in times of calamity. The invitation of those who are trying to follow God isn't that you'll never fail. But that failure comes. And you, and you rise. You rise up. Some of you, the big way you respond to your failure is you try to hide your failure. Right? You try to hide the failure of your past, hope nobody finds out about it. 
and you're busy right now, today, you showed up today trying to hide your present patterns of failure. Uh, this, is, this is what I do. I remember um, my sophomore year of college, I, I was taking a, a psychology class, and in that psychology class, we took a personality test. Now, I've always, I'm not a big fan of personality tests. I could preach a whole sermon on how much I hate personality tests. But uh, anyways, uh, and I already hated them by the time I was in college. But there I was, sophomore year of college, taking this psychology class. First day of class, we all were supposed to take this personality test and then share what we learned about our different personalities. And it was one of these where you were supposed to circle adjectives. Uh, You circle all the adjectives that you wish described you, and then you circle all the adjectives that actually do describe you, and it put that together to tell you what your personality was like. And and they they passed out to us these these paragraphs. You you, You looked up your type, and then it had a paragraph that described you. And I'll never forget that the first sentence of the paragraph that described me, it said, You will lie to hide your mistakes and failures. I immediately raised my hand. I said, um, what if I don't want to tell anybody my personality type? Like, do I have to share my personality type? And the professor was like, well, I I guess I've never been asked that question. Um, But, uh, I mean, I guess not. I said, good, because I'm not going to. And I didn't. I never told anybody what my personality type was on that test because that sentence was one of the truest sentences I had ever heard about myself. You will lie to hide your mistakes and failures. Later in the paragraph, it said this. It said this. You care more about your reputation than your integrity. That's what it said. In this little paragraph. And I didn't want anybody to ever read that paragraph. Because that was true. Back then, I did. I cared so much more what people thought about me than what was really... I didn't care about what was really going on in my life as long as I was managing my image in the world. That was what all my work was about. Some of you, that's how you relate to failure. That your only relationship with failure is the energy you've put into hiding it. Some of you, though, gave up on that, and you have become defined by your failure. Some mistake, some breakdown, some shortcoming in your past, or some pattern of failure in your present. You know, you know, you know the life you wish you were living, and you look at the life you're, you're actually living, and that ongoing pattern of failure has come to define you. Who are you? You're the person who made that big mistake. Or you're the person who keeps making that big mistake. Here's the thing. When you go dumpster diving with Jesus you find a whole new way to relate to your failure. Because there is another way. Uh, My friends, Kevin and Terry, found a different way to relate to failure. Um, And I'm so glad that they are willing to share their story with the church. Listen to their story. When you can't see your trash, it doesn't stink. I've been so good at hiding it that I was even hiding it from myself not acknowledging the harm it had been doing to myself and those I loved. 
I've been married twice before, and both those marriages ended up in failure, with me pointing the finger each time at my wife, blaming her for the failure. Neither of them ever knew about the hours I'd spent looking at pornography, the hours spent online talking to other women, all the time and money I'd spent in establishments with other women or the hookups I'd arranged. My trash was so well hidden that even I couldn't recognize how my behavior had led to the failure of those marriages. My behavior continued during my marriage with Terry. When she discovered what I was up to, my immediate reaction was to blame her, but I couldn't. The fact is, she's a great wife. I finally had to face my garbage. I had to admit that I had been a sex addict for years and it had taken over my life. I needed help, I needed a savior. Sometime earlier, Terry had started going to church with our kids. My son and daughter-in-law had just had our first grandchild and she was looking to return to church. She found a Christian church she loved and she got involved and was baptized. And my son started going with her. He was baptized too and they invited me to join them. I'd been attending for about a few months. I'd driven by this large church countless of times and I, my initial thought was, why are they driving 30 minutes to go past who knows how many perfectly good churches to get there? I just shook my head and said, well, you can go, but I'm not going. As far as I was concerned, I didn't need church. I guess if you can't see this trash, it doesn't stink. <laughs> I attended most weeks and I watched messages online and I, I'd tell Kevin about the messages, hoping he'd want to go with me. I didn't want to go. I went for Christmas just to be supportive, but as far as I was concerned, I didn't need church. Three nights before I discovered what Kevin had been doing, I, I had a dream and it just shot me bolt upright in bed. I was in a really evil place and holding Kevin behind me and there was a dark presence in front of me and I just yelled, you can't have him, I'm a child of God. Then Terry discovered what I'd been doing online and that I'd been meeting up with people as I traveled for work all over the country. It wasn't until later when Terry shared this dream with me that I realized why she just hadn't thrown me out initially and why she had given me a chance. Really, I mean, if God hadn't warned me that I was about to go through this and that he'd be with me, I might have decided the relationship was just a hopeless failure and ended our marriage. I didn't make any promises, but I gave Kevin two weeks to show me he was serious about getting treatment and saving our relationship. So I admitted to Terry I had a problem and I needed to do something about it. So I uh, went through the process like everybody, of finding a counselor and getting through all that kind of stuff. I found a counselor that specialized in sex addiction and uh, made an appointment. Uh, couldn't get to see him until next week. So um, on Saturday, we decided uh, to go for a drive just to try to stay connected to talk a little bit. And during that drive, I just had this overwhelming feeling like I needed to go to church. I uh, was at a gas station, we were filling up gas, and I just, I, I gotta go to church. Um, I got in the car and told Terry, I, I, we gotta go to church. I think I need to go to church. Doesn't that church have Saturday service? Well, it did, and we went, and um, it was amazing. Uh, that preacher was talking right to me. I was the only person in that room. 
he told me that I was loved by God. That was the first time I'd heard that. And it was just something I really needed to hear at that point in my life. It changed everything. Um, I uh, ended up filling out a card to saying I was going to fight this addiction and had somebody pray over me and uh, anoint me and send me on my way. Um, turns out the counselor next week, he, uh, he was at that same service. And uh, it was like, really? And he said, yeah, that was kind of a special service. We only do that every couple of years. I don't know. That's amazing you were at that service. And uh, I was amazed. Um, and uh, just a few Weeks later, Terry and I were baptized together, and I continued in intensive counseling for six months after that. One of the many things I learned as a new Christ follower was that we're called to share our story. So as a step of faith, I shared a bit of my story with a small group of men. I was so scared, but I was amazed at how it was received. One man shared he was struggling with pornography too and thanked me for sharing. That was almost 12 years ago. In that time, God has used my dumpster to lead me into faithful service. I've been serving in the Parker ministry in various capacities for all those years. I've been on mission trips, and here at FCC, I've been serving with the men's ministry and lead a men's small group where we share and support each other against the real struggles that men face as they try to follow Christ. As Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live in faith, the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. I know this is true because I know the kind of man I was before accepting Christ, and that man would not be serving God. He would not be sharing his story with other men, and he certainly would not be sharing his story in a video like this. So while Kevin was in counseling, I was seeing my own Christian counselor. And uh, I needed to just really work through all the gaslighting and the betrayal trauma, um, my self-esteem. And uh, so I, I worked with him for a while. And when I, I guess I was finally done, he said to me, so you think you're ready to come off my schedule? And I, uh, I thought about it and I thought, well, Maybe, and he said, I think you are, and I think you're gonna just really use a lot of this stuff to help women in the future. And it just shocked me. I thought, me, I, how, can, how can I help anybody? I'm just, I'm just happy to be through all of this. So, but then God surprised me. Next thing I knew, my church was inviting me to join their staff and just really started working for God and loving service and, and uh, then I found out about Milligan's Master's of Christian Ministry program. And I started thinking about that and kept dismissing it, putting it in the back of my mind, thinking that's not for me, I'm not qualified to do that. And, and, but God just would not leave me alone. He just kept pushing me and pushing me and putting it on my heart. And So I thought, okay, well, I'll, I'll apply. So when I was accepted, I took that leap of faith and said yes throughout the three-year program, tailored with a concentration in counseling. All the while, I never knew what God was gonna do with me at the conclusion, but I just maintained faith. But what God did was move me from Northeast Maryland, where I had joined my mentor's private counseling practice, 
down here to Northeast Tennessee to serve the members of this church and the clients in the area. And God has just settled me into a pastoral counseling and life coaching role for women and couples. I'm particularly dedicated to helping women through betrayal traumas and especially the journey of divorce, helping couples work to save their marriages and learn and practice better communication skills and just assist couples in beginning their marriage on strong footing um, as a certified SIMBIS coordinator, and that's saving your marriage before it starts, and that's a, a program that we have right here at the church. We're thankful to FCC and for God for this opportunity to share our story. Every time Terry and I have had the courage to do that, we have seen it blessed in so many ways. To see our failure turned into fruit is just an amazing experience, and if we can do that for somebody who's listening, we sure pray that you'll reach out to us because we continue to be amazed to see how God uses our failure, the failures of my past life, to bring fruitful things to this church and to our community. Amen. Give glory to God with me. That's amazing. Um, not afraid of failure, not hiding failure, not defined by failure, but discovering in Christ a completely different path. Uh, and this is the path that they found, that your place of greatest failure, past or present, can be a place of fruitfulness by the power of God. I know that for some of you, that just sounds too good to be true. You, you don't trust in God's promises. You don't trust in Christ's power. And why would you? Because you've been stuck in failure for so long, you think that's kind of your whole story. And the best you can do is hide it. Like that's the best case scenario is that you'll hide the pattern of failure. But that is what God's word promises. That is what God's word describes, Right? This, this claim is both the promise of Scripture and the witness of Scripture. Uh, the Bible directly says that God's power can work in our weakness. And then the Bible is filled with stories just like the Pugsleys. Uh, if, if you're doing the study, this will be my first of many times today that I'm going to say, get in a dumpster diving group. Pick up one of these booklets, do the study, go all in, learn all God's word has to teach you about the power of Christ to transform through this series, okay? Go all in. And if you were, if you were to do the study, if you jump in with the study this week, you'll talk about the story of Peter. Uh, Peter is a guy who experienced this journey from failure to fruit, like not just once, but many times. When, when Peter was arrested, I mean, when, rather, when Jesus was arrested, rather, Peter denies Jesus repeatedly, publicly, forcefully, says, I have nothing to do with that Jesus guy. That's a pretty massive failure for the lead disciple, right? To completely deny Jesus. After Jesus' resurrection, Jesus and Peter get a chance to talk. You might wonder, are they going to talk about Peter's failure? Like, is that going to be the focus of the conversation? Not for Jesus. The focus of the conversation is on the fruit. On the fruit. Oh, three times. Just like Peter denied him three times. Three times Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. 
And if it were me, like my next question would be, well, then why did you deny me? Let's talk about that failure a little bit, Peter. If you're so sure you love me, why did you deny me? That's not where Jesus goes. Jesus says, let me talk about the fruit. Feed my lambs. Let me talk about the ministry that is going to grow out of your season of failure. And that move from failure to fruitful, it happens again and again in Peter's life. Peter was one of the many followers of Jesus who just could not wrap his head around the fact that God's love was for everybody. Peter was like, surely your love is just for the Jews, right? Like, it's just the Jews. That's all you love. And young Jesus kept saying, no, I love everybody. God was saying, I love everybody. And Peter was like, I don't know. He struggled with this his whole life. So who did God pick? when he wanted to prove to the church that God's love was now for all people. Who did God pick to send toward that Roman centurion Cornelius and share the gospel and witness the Holy Spirit and then testify to the church that God's love now was for all people? Who did God pick? He picked Peter. Failure to to fruit. In his precise area of failure, God used Peter for fruitful ministry that nobody saw coming. And that is the path God has for you. What is your place of failure? Maybe it's a past failure that you look back on and you have hidden deep in the trash can of your life, hoping no one ever finds out how bad you messed up because nothing good could ever come from that. Or maybe it's a present pattern of failure that you just feel like you are stuck in. I believe that place of failure is the place that God wants to do fruitful ministry in your life. If you want that, I want to tell you just a little bit. These are going to be pretty practical messages this whole series long. If, if you want that, if you want your patterns of failure to be turned into pa- to, to patterns of fruitfulness, I want to tell you about the process that God will take you on, okay? We talked about this last week. We introduced it, so we're just going to say four things. You need to recognize your failure. You need to replace it. You need to reach out for help, and you need to trust in the power of the resurrection. We saw all of this. All of these elements were in Kevin's story. It starts with recognizing. Admit to the pattern of failure that is present in your life. Or admit to the past failure that still sits there like a dark hole in your life. that Kind of pulls the light away from everything else. That's where Kevin started. He was finally forced to recognize that his dumpster was full of failure. He had tried lying about it. That didn't work very well. He had tried blaming other people for it. He'd blamed two wives for failed marriages. Now he was forced to try something new. To try admitting it. Acknowledging it. This will, for many of us, this will be the first challenge we face if you want to go dumpster diving with God. God will root around in the trash and he'll pick something up all smelly and nasty and he'll say, look what I found. And you'll be like, I don't think that's mine. I think somebody else snuck that in there. I'm pretty, that, that's really nasty trash. I don't think anything in my life could have produced something that nasty. And God will be like, are you sure this isn't yours? It's in your trash. 
Some of you won't admit your failure because you are trying to impress God rather than trust God. Just just sit sit with that for a second because I'm talking to some of you. Some of you won't admit how you have failed because you are trying to impress God rather than trust God. You realize on the face of it, that's crazy. Like if there is a God, if God exists, he is not impressed by you. And yet we persist in trying to impress God rather than trust God. Trust that God is strong and we are weak. Trust that God is perfect and we have failed. Trust that God is holy and we are not. Trust that God redeems and we are in prison apart from God's power. This is one of the most dangerous sins and it will keep you trapped in your failure if you will not just admit that your failure belongs to you. We looked last week at 1 John. This is probably my favorite verse about this principle, but it's all over scripture. Here's another example, Proverbs 28, 13. Whoever conceals their transgressions will not prosper, but the one who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. If you knew my friend Kevin Pugsley, this is his testimony. Whoever conceals their transgressions will not prosper, but the one who confesses them will obtain mercy. First thing you got to do, recognize the past and present failure that is part of your life. Next thing, you got to replace. You've got to decide that you would prefer what God wants for you over what you want for yourself. Uh, Kevin talked about this when he quoted Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2 says this, For through the law I died to the law. The the law, this is the standards we're all trying to live up to. He says, I wasn't successful. I failed to live up to the law. Through the law, I died to the law so that now I may live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. I have been, been executed with Christ. I have been slaughtered with Christ. So it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. This is the replacement we're talking about. Replace the life we were trying to live on our own with the life God provides us through Jesus. So the life I now live in the body I live because of the faithfulness of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I will not set aside God's grace because if righteousness could come through the law, that is, if I could accomplish God's favor by being so successful, well then Christ died for Nothing. If you want to make the transition from failure to fruit, you're going to have to learn the discipline of replacing. You learn to pray prayers like this. God, I choose what you want more than what I want. God, I prefer what you will accomplish in my life over what I can accomplish by my own power. Replace God's glory with your own. Imagine you do a task. And you've got two options. You could mess it up and God could get the glory. Or you could succeed and you could get the glory. Which path do you choose? Whose glory are you seeking? 
You'll never risk failure until you truly seek God's glory over your own. I've been instructed in this matter by the story of a man named Gideon. This is from the book of Judges. Uh, God's people were under attack by a neighboring enemy. And God called on Gideon uh, to defend the people. It took Gideon a while to trust God, but ultimately he said, okay, God, we'll do this. And so Gideon got busy raising an army. And he was actually quite successful. Pretty good public speaker, good motivator. He rallied the people and raised a large army strong enough to defeat their enemies. And then God comes to Gideon and said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to send 95% of your army away. And you'll be left with a few hundred soldiers. And Gideon says, you know, this does not make sense, God. If you leave me with this, I am sure to fail. But if you kept me with my strength and my army, then we could succeed. And God says, oh, no, you will be successful. You will win the war, but you will win the war out of your weakness, not your strength. Because when the victory comes, I want everyone to know this victory was accomplished by God. I don't want anybody to be confused that this was accomplished by the brilliance of your military strategy or the strength of your armies. I want everyone to know it was accomplished by God. If you want to move from failure to fruitfulness, you will have to prefer what God can accomplish by God's strength over what you can accomplish in yours. Number three, you got to reach out. To turn failure into fruitfulness, you will have to reach out. We said last week, this means all of us need to learn how to say help. We need to learn how to say help. Uh, the, you'll see, when you do the study guide, you'll see, we, when we're reaching out, you can kind of think of it in two ways. You'll need to reach out to allies, and you'll need to reach out to experts. Reach out to allies and experts. So for some of you, you are, you are in a cycle of failure right now, and if you really want to break free, you're going to need to reach out to some experts. That, that was... Uh, the Pugsley story, right? They said they called counselors, they called church leaders, they went to, back to school. They reached out to some experts in how to turn failure into fruit. And some of you need to do that. Get an appointment with a counselor or a pastor who can help you. You need a few experts in your life. But you also heard them say that they reached out to allies. Again, I'm going to hold this booklet up for the second time of the day. This is why I've been telling you for a couple weeks now. You need to be in a group. Nobody should go dumpster diving alone. It's too scary. You'll get stuck down to the bottom of a trash can somewhere. You've got to get in a group. You heard Kevin say about the breakthrough it was when he told his story to some Christian men that he was in a small group with. And they listened. And they showed him grace. You know, groups that show grace, they do this amazing thing. Okay? Some of you, the reason you aren't telling your story is because you've never been in a group that understood grace, right? Because in most places, if you tell a story of failure, everybody around you goes, oh, well, it happens, it's fine. Everybody messes up sometimes, it's fine. No, it's not. 
I don't, if I come to you trapped in failure and your response to me is, it's fine, everybody's a little bit imprisoned by their own failure, that does me no good. That's not grace. On the other hand, sometimes we find up in groups where we talk about our failure and our struggle and we're met with judgment and condemnation. We're cast out, we're kicked out, we're shut out. That's not grace either. But the church, the church is different. Join one of our groups. I, I, I believe you will have a different experience. You'll meet a people who welcome you and re- receive you and invite you to know the power of the Holy Spirit so that you can break free from a pattern of failure. It's not fine. It's forgiven. That's a different thing. That's the thing that grace offers. It's forgiven and there's freedom. You need to get in a group. You can show up on Wednesday nights. Lots of ways to get in a group. I will say for this crowd, if you're sitting here and you're like, okay, I do need some people. I need allies around me. This crowd, we have a brand new group that launches at 11.15, like right after this service. You'll have enough time to use the restroom, get a cup of coffee in room 104. A brand new group is launching today using this material, working through this together. You could go find people today. Say, I want people to help me go through the trash because I want hope where I currently just have hopelessness. Maybe you want that. And that, that is, and that's step three. If you won't reach out to allies, you, you are missing out on the way God wants to work in your life to help you break free from the power of your failure. Fourth thing, and that's resurrection. This is my favorite one. The last step in moving from failure to fruitfulness is to experience the power of the resurrection at work in your life. Now, I will say this is a step of humility because, of course, the power of resurrection is only needed where something is dead. Like, imagine you said this sentence, right? Maybe you could try it with me. I want the power of the resurrection in my life. Try that sentence with me. Say that with me. See that sounds. I want the power of the resurrection in my life. Try it again just to see how it sounds. You, know, you don't have to believe it right now, but just imagine. What if, you, what if you really believe this? I want the power of the resurrection in my life. That sentence only makes sense if there's something in your life that's dead today. Right? That only makes sense if there's something in your life that's broken and hopeless today. I want the power. So it requires humility to seek the power of the resurrection. But when you find in yourself that humility, you will discover the greatest joy you'll ever know because the power of the resurrection is available for you. When you recognize and confess your failure, when you choose the power of God over your own strength, when you reach out to the people of God to be your allies and the experts that you need to break a cycle of failure, you will begin to witness the power of the resurrection in your life. Here's how Paul expresses it. He says, we have this treasure that is the the gospel and the power of Jesus in jars of clay. That's us. Fragile, breakable vessels. Why did God deliver the gospel through such a fragile people? It's to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. 
We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. Later in that same letter, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, the Apostle Paul talks uh, about a curious problem he has. He calls it a thorn in the flesh. Interestingly, he never tells us exactly what it is. Uh, it, could be, it could be a medical thing. He could have some disease or sickness or weakness in his body. It could be a spiritual thing. Paul often used the word flesh spiritually and often used the word thorn to represent sin. So it could be a sin pattern or a pattern of failure and frustration in his spiritual life. Uh, and we don't know. He, he never tells us. But it is this persistent area of weakness and struggle and suffering. He says, I prayed to God that God would remove it. And then... In verse 9, he tells us God's answer. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest on me. Paul says, I'm going to brag about my weakness. Why would he brag about his weakness, not his strength? Paul was a remarkably competent man. He had a lot going for him. Why would he brag about his weakness? Because he preferred God's glory over his own. That's why. I have stories of success in my life. I'm not utterly incompetent. But my favorite stories to tell are my stories of my failure where the work of God was still accomplished. Because it is in those stories that the power of God is made most clear, made most evident, made most true. I have silly little stories where I failed in silly little ways and then I fell on my knees and prayed and it just was amazing. And I can't take any of the credit. It's all God. I boast in my weaknesses. I brag about my weakness. Because he says, I want the glory to go to God. He goes on, for the sake of Christ, then I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is my testimony. I still hate to fail. I hate failure. But I don't hide it anymore. I don't lie about it anymore because it is in the power of God working through my failure that the glory of God is most clearly told in the story of my life. Just a couple concluding thoughts. You cannot invite the power of God into your life unless you are willing to serve beyond your own strength and risk failure. If you will only serve in safe ways and give what you can afford to give and share your faith when it makes sense, you know, 
you'll never really see the power of God revealed in your life. If you only try to accomplish those things that you can accomplish by your own strength, then at the end of the day, what you will have in your life is a testimony to your own strength. And nobody cares. But if you will serve in ways that are beyond your capacity and beyond your strength where you don't see a way, ways that risk failure, and you will fail. The righteous man falls seven times. But he gets back up, and in the rising, the glory goes to God. You cannot invite the power of God into your life unless you are willing to serve and live in a way that risks failure. But likewise, you cannot experience the power of God in your life unless you will admit where you have failed. Admit where you've failed. Go into the dumpster with God. Hold up a place of brokenness and say, this is mine, God. And trust God to work a miracle. And you'll get to say, the place where I failed, the place where I fell, that is the place where God bore fruit. That is the place where God accomplished ministry. That is the place where God did the good that I longed to see. And I I know it wasn't my power because I failed. All the glory goes to God. Friends, I'm going to pray for you in just a second. And then we're going to close our service with a song. If you need prayer today, I'm going to be over here and uh, the Pugsies are going to be over there with me. If you'd like to meet them and maybe you want one of them to pray for your marriage or pray for some area of failure totally unrelated to marriage, but a place where you, you think you just want to believe that God could work fruit in your life or you're currently stuck in a cycle of failure, they would love to pray for you today. And you'd be blessed by meeting them. I'll be over there. Just come find me while we sing. Nobody's going to notice. They'll be looking at the words. You just come find me. Let us pray for you today. It starts when you admit your failure and ask God to make that place of failure a place of fruitfulness. Let me pray for you right now. Heavenly Father, we just ask right now that you would drop our deception. Drop the lie that we persist in telling that we don't have any failure to worry about. And we pray that right now we would just approach you trusting that you still do what you promised to do. To fill our lives with resurrection power. That we would no longer live to ourselves but live to you, God. And that the very place of our present failure, by your grace, could be a place of fruitfulness in this day and in the life to come. This is our prayer. We pray this in Jesus' name.